got to love the next generation being trained in the ways of the Lord. So good and so cute. The future of the church never looks so cute, so that's so good. All right, well, today we are starting a new series called How to Know the Will of God. Does that sound exciting? I don't know about you, but I suppose it seems like specifically in like my 20s and the college years, anytime it was announced as someone was going to tell you how to know God's will, it was like we were willing to drive anywhere. It was like, are you kidding me? Someone has these secret keys. Like, where, like, where did they get this knowledge from? And so it is all yours in a three-part series. Not all of today. Today's an introduction, but it will be a three-part series. So you guys ready? All right, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. Colossians chapter 2. Verse one. Oh, you know what? Actually, as we're getting started here, uh, Jamal and Maria, we're going to come up and share something real quick. So Jamal and Maria, where are you guys at? You guys all right, let's welcome Jamal and Maria. All right, good to see you. Thank you, Pastor Jim. I'm just ready for your teaching. I, yeah, hey, I, I, I had saying, a note here. It said Jamal and Maria. We so. and went, this is good. We're, we're ready for the teaching. All right, all right. We'll just jump right in here. I won't, we won't be long. Um, I'd be disobedient if I didn't do this. No, do it. Um, our, our, our country right now is uh, going through a spiritual phase, would you say? Um, this is supposedly so-called Pride Month, right? Um, the rainbow's been hijacked, belongs to God. Pride cometh before destruction, the word says, so I wouldn't be so proud about a pride month. I spiritually sense, honestly, I, I was talking to Maria, parents need to pray over their children. Husbands pray over the wives. Wives pray over the husbands. Singles pray over each other. We all pray for one another. It's very urgently important. Um, there's a psalm, Psalm 97.10. It says, O ye that love the Lord, hate evil. It doesn't say hate people. It says hate evil. Amen. And it says the Lord preserves his saints, and he will deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's a great verse for us to remember. Because Psalm 139, 14, I believe Psalm 139 talks about we're wonderfully and awesomely made. So we need to encourage our children, remind them that God made them, God loves them just the way they are. You cannot, we cannot afford to buy into this spiritually. We, on the ministry team, we pray for people. A lot of the issues are soul related. Their mind, their will, and emotions are really under attack. We came out of covid now we're into this crap. If you want to talk about spiritual powers from on high, Ephesians 6, 12, this is all principality stuff. This is not a joke. A minority of the world is going to run the majority of the people. That's a demonic thing. I'm not fooled. Don't be fooled. I wanted to share that. So I'm not, I'm not intimidated. I'm not concerned. You shouldn't be either. Jesus is intimidated. We, have, we don't speak up as a church, not just as a church, but as a church body. We need, we need to be for real. Um, my, dear, my wife here had a soul issue this week, and we took care of that, some things that were on her heart. And uh, No, it was interesting because she came, she, something was bothering her, didn't know quite what it was. Prayed for her, and I used a word I hadn't used in decades. I said, there's a, there's a sense of spiritual malaise. And we prayed against that, and that led to some things that she wants to share briefly. Basically, you know, I just was asking the Father. He kept taking me to Luke 10, 19. I think that's what it was. Let me just get it here because I want to share it with you all because it really blessed me. And it says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. Not just, he's given all of us the authority. He's given us the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And I go, Lord, I know this promise. This is mine. But it's like, yes. And he kept saying, you've been passive. I go, what? He goes, passivity. And I was looking at that. And he says, yes, but a lot of my 
people have been passive. I go, it's not just me, Lord. And so I got this prayer, and I just want to pray it over us because I, it's like I have allowed my voice to be quiet or silence, and each one of us has a voice. We all have a voice, y'all. And it's like, Lord, please forgive me. And so I says, oh, Papa God, I thank you that you have given us authority over all the power of the enemy. Forgive us, or forgive me, I said, for allowing my voice to remain silent and my will immobilized by being passive. I realize that to be victorious in, or we realize that to be victorious in our spiritual lives, we must face our spiritual temptations persistently. We have to be persistent. We just have to be persistent. You have given us authority over the plans and works of evil. You have created us to be ministers of your righteousness. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit and with fire. This day, we confront, we renounce, and we take authority over the power of Satan's work to destroy our spiritual lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so good. Yeah, we need wisdom. When do you be salt when it's more covert? And when do you be light when it's more overt? You know, and what does love look like in all those situations? So, yeah, thank you, Lord. We need that wisdom. Speaking of wisdom, why don't you turn to Colossians chapter 2? Kirsten, welcome back. So good to see you. Our daughter-in-law was out of town. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, that was another city, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love that phrase, in whom that Christ has all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul, he's writing about his understanding of the knowledge of God, and part of that is going to be the knowledge of God's will. And so let's just look at this. When it comes to God, he has a plan for your life, but he also kind of has a big picture plan for humankind, right? So we see the big picture uh, plan in humankind. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, you guys were created different than animals. On the, la on the uh, last day of creation, God breathes the breath of life into man. He becomes a spirit being. He says we're created in the image of God. Um, animals are not created in the image of God. And I know your dog is special. I already know that. I don't want letters. But, um, but uh, everyone else's dog, like, no, no, animals aren't created in the image of God. They cannot relate to God. They cannot have intimacy. They cannot have communion. They cannot have that, that direct relationship. We have a spirit, and we can relate to God directly as spirit. Everything that's designed, uh, that God designed into you has been designed to relate to God. You realize this? Hebrews 5 actually says that your five senses were designed to be able to re relate to God. You can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel God. Isn't that interesting? Um, not only that, you were created to be God's representative on earth. So not just to have intimacy with God, but be, you were created in his image and his likeness. We were to uh, be his representative, to show people what he is like on earth. Now, there was a fall of man. It messed everything up. Uh, man stopped trusting God when they sinned. That's how we got into this mess. But I want you guys to get this. Even in our mess, we are still loved. There's a doctrine in the, uh, in the church called uh, total depravity. Maybe you guys have heard that. It's one of the five points of Calvinism. Not necessarily saying I agree with that. Here's what total depravity says. You're so messed up. You're so beyond hope that uh, it's kind of like you're a worm. You're, you're, you're a worthless creature, you know, and uh, you're completely incapable of saving yourself. Well, I agree. Uh, I agree. Let's just, I like what someone else calls it, enough depravity. There was enough depravity that you couldn't save yourself, but you were still worth saving. Because sometimes that total depravity doctrine can turn into the, the worm doctrine. You're, you're, you're lowly. You're, you know, God, God just about had it. No, no, no. So even in our mess, God's like, hey, I still love you in your mess. Is that good news for anybody here? And better yet, God, who is love, he took on himself all of your sin, all of your mess. He became a human being, and he said, this is what God's like. He went to the cross, took on all of our mess. Um, so we are loved, we are died for. This is the big picture plan of God. It's like, I had this original plan, uh, you know, Satan deceived man. Gave the authority over, over to Satan. Jesus gets it all back. He rises. He says, all authority is given back to me. He overcomes Satan, gives it back. Now man has the same commission that we had at the beginning is on earth as it is in heaven. We're to take the things that are going on up there, love, joy, peace, kindness, wholeness, uh, moral sanity, right? All those things, we're to take them and they're to bring them into his world with his help. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's our, our marching orders, is to make up there, come down here. The way things are being run up there with God in his, in his righteousness, his goodness, we're to bring that into these. I mean, how many think this world could use that? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that provision, uh, you know, all the, all the things that are going on that need it, uh, loneliness, poverty, we're to take those, uh, the things of heaven and bring that into this world. So there's this big picture plan of God to redeem all things to himself, but then he also has this private custom-made plan for your life. It's not like you're just this cog in this wheel and you all serve this giant thing. He actually has a direct plan uniquely for you. We see throughout Scripture, this is over and over, Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He says this to, to an individual, Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before he was ever born, he had a plan for Jeremiah to be a prophet. Psalm 139, 16. You saw, this is the Passion Translation, You saw who you created me to be before I came to be. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of my days you planned for me. They were already recorded in your book. Ephesians 2.10 says that we have become God's poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given for each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. That's pretty powerful. God's like, I've got good works for you to do as an individual here. So you might be like, okay, Jim, I know God's got a will, he's got a plan, he's got a purpose, but how do I get to know it, okay? So unfortunately, there's some bad ways in Christian circles that people try to get to know it. So one of the ways, um, understanding God's will, it's kind of this Christian fatalism. It's kind of like, you know, hey, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. Like, it's, kind of, it's this dangerous thought, you know, that they take God's sovereignty and they exaggerate it to where it was never exaggerated to be. They say, you know what, God does exactly what he's going to do. You know, there's nothing I can do about it, there's nothing I should do about it. God's sovereign. Like, like, you know, they see this giant boulder rolling down the hill. Well, it must be God's will. Crunch. Praise be to God. It's like, really? Like that, that's what you think there? Person gets sick. Must have been God's will. Something bad happens. Must have been God's will. They don't realize it actually says you're to resist the devil. Not just like a crunch. Oh, there you go. You know, if, when God calls you an overcomer, you know what that means? You're going to have to overcome some things. Passivism disguised as peace is not God's will. I got to find if I wrote that. I did write that down. <laughs> Passivism disguised as peace is not God's will. And people just sweep everything under the, so the, under the sovereignty of God, and here it is. And why did all these bad things happen to me? Because you're not resisting any of them, you're not some pincushion. Now, most people sitting here, we, they don't believe that, okay? But there's a version of this that creeps into charism out of Christianity, and it says, praise God anyway. Now, listen, I believe you should praise God in all circumstances, but there's this kind of this passive hug that's like, oh, praise God. You know, it's just, uh, it happened, God's will be done, nothing I can do about it, and you give this praise the Lord shrug, just, you, you just kind of whitewash some spirituality over it, and it's really the same thing. Oh, well, praise God, whatever, you know. Whatever, whatever will be, will be. Listen, guys, not everything that happens is God's will. Hold on. Well, God's, God's sovereign. Well, he's in charge, but he's not in control. He's not literally dictating what you're going to eat for lunch today. Like, how, how many of you ever made bad choices with your eating? That was not God's will. He wasn't sovereignly choosing those donuts to stuff into your mouth. I, I don't, Mary and I, we eat really healthy. And I don't know, for some reason, I don't know what we were thinking. It was like two weeks ago, we had ice cream for dinner. And um, we did, we did. I, I, uh, I had the, I was thinking it's called the 1870 from Graders. It's like a brownie and it's the, the raspberry chocolate chip or whatever. And it's got the whipped cream and nuts and hot fudge. And there was a whole bunch of things on there. And um, you know what? Uh, it, it wasn't God's will and we paid the consequences of it. Well, like, we felt terrible. Like, we felt terrible the whole next day. Listen to the 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you. Here's, here's God's will. Is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God's will, not any should perish. Are there people perishing? Uh, have you seen the news? <laughs> like God doesn't create Hitler so that he can destroy Hitler. Like, like, like Hitler was not God's will. You know, sin is not God's will. There's things that are happening that are not God's will, okay? So they're to be resisted. We've got to overcome these things. God is sovereign. I have no theology of God where he does not reign. 
but it doesn't work out by us being passive. That's not how you find the will of God. It's just, oh, God's will just going to kind of zap me, and I'll just, hey, if he, God wants to tell me his will, he'll come. No, no, no. It doesn't just happen through passivity. So that's not the way to do it. This fatalism, this whatever will be, will be. There's a second company of people, and it's far more widespread and probably just as dangerous in the body of Christ. And they believe that God has this selective kinds of wills and purposes. Have you ever heard there's the perfect will of God, and then there is the permissive will of God? Where, where's that verse? Oh, oh, yeah, it's not in the Bible. It's in the book of opinions. <laughs> and if you grew up Pentecostal or Baptist, boy, you grew up thinking about the, uh, the, the, the perfect will of God. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were saying how uh, they, they were quoting somebody, and they said the, the will of God is not a tightrope. It's an open road. But see, this view is the perfect will of God. It's just tightrope. And oh, my goodness. And well, you had better not go to the right or to the left. Have you ever seen those movies where like someone, um, they go back in time and they like change history? Now they're in like this alternate reality. I think that's how a lot of people think God's will is. It's like, oh, I fell off the, the, the perfect will. And so now I'm in this alternate will where there's a new tightrope. And pretty soon you're a thousand variations off and you could never get quite. That's a, yeah, that's exhausting. Welcome to legalistic Christianity. Even if you don't hear those phrases, permissive will and perfect will, everybody sort of here feels that there's a will of God, and whatever I'm living in right now is slightly less than the will of God. So I must seek the will of God. So once you've got this idea that God's will is out there, it's somewhere that I've got to seek after, look after, it's just around the corner, and you embark on this frantic search because it's something I don't have right now. If I went row by row and I said, do you believe you are in the most absolutely perfect will of God that you could ever be in right now, 99% of people would say no until they listen to this message. <laughs> There's three parts to it. We're not going to cover everything today, but this part's going to set you free. You guys good? Yeah. People think like, yeah, the Apostle Paul or Billy Graham or Heidi Baker, those type of people, they have found the will of God. But for me, I'm not so sure. I'm still looking. I'm still seeking. I probably need to fast some more. probably need to go on some type of spiritual retreat. Legalism loves this because legalism teaches if you will do, 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 God will bless, bless, bless. You know, that person who knows the will of God, it's because they're seeking God harder than you. They've, uh, they've dedicated themselves to God more than you. you. You haven't gotten rid of everything. You haven't laid it all down. Well, good luck with that. Really, all of it? You've laid all of it down every single moment? <clears throat> Are we Okay. Legalism says if you'd only dedicate yourself to God more, if you'd only give yourself over to God to a greater degree, then you will know the will of God. I mean, has anyone ever reached that point where they've given themselves perfectly over to God and they feel worthy? To... You know, if you don't give yourself over to God 1,000% every single second, if you don't, then you're just going to muddle along and you have to live in some second-class will of God. You'll get to heaven in the end, but you're going to be embarrassed when you get there. So you're always looking for this mirage of the perfect will of God. I'm always looking ahead. I'm never living in the now, because now this isn't God's will, but someday I have a picture of what God's will is going to be like, and it just keeps going farther and farther off the more you chase it. It's always tomorrow. It's just up ahead. I'm always in this state of waiting and preparation for God's will. I'm never actually in God's will. I talk to people all the time. They hate their jobs, and they say, I'm waiting for God to reveal what his real will is in my life. Anyone ever heard or felt like that, right? That means I'm working in an office right now. I'm on hold, okay? I'm just, I'm just stuck here right now until the will of God happens. And when that happens, I'm going to be out of this job for sure. Will of God, it's, it's in the future. It's this mirage. The will of God, it's somewhere over the rainbow. I don't even know how the song goes. I just got the tune wrong. I just, <laughs> one day I will reach it. One day I will get it. And, of course, there's the person in the church. We've all encountered these people. They announced that they found the will of God, and it is for them to quit their job and live by faith. Have we met these people? <laughs> Aren't these incredible people? And so let me translate it for you. Um, you know, I, I don't have a clue, and I'm going to trust that people around me love me enough and not, to not let me starve to death. Okay? And so um, uh, they had those people in, in Bible days. Okay, here's what, uh, here's what Paul said to them. Uh, it doesn't even sound Christian, what Paul says to them, but this is in the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to irk, work. Uh, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Baker translation, if someone's not willing to work, let them starve. They will soon find out the will of God. That's pretty harsh words. 
If you're like, hey, I don't feel like working. I'm not going to work. He's like, literally, every bite you take is a step of disobedience towards God. And so for many, the will of God, oh, boy, that one really hurts some people. <laughs> I'm just reading the verse here with just a little interpretation. Some of you are like, I'm sending this to my friend right now. Yeah, go to, Mez yeah, go to right about 10 minutes in. Yeah. And so the will of God, it's elusive. It's, it's mysterious to many people. It's always unusual and extraordinary. Nobody thinks that the will of God would be in the ordinary and the mundane. But I've got some good news for you. That's exactly where it is. Many people think if they do find the will of God, then I'm going to have to move to China or become some missionary in some country where my life's in danger. They never think of the will of God as being in the mundane and the ordinary. I want you to know this. Jesus was just as much in the will of God when he was making benches and doors uh, as a carpenter as he was when he was healing the sick. The Apostle Paul was just as much in the will of God when he was wiping his sweat with handkerchiefs, making tents as he was when he was preaching the gospel in the regions that have never heard the name. And so if the will of God is so elusive, how do I find it? Do I have to seek it? And so people, they adopt these Old Testament methods. And so um, uh, they have these Old Testament methods to find God's will. So there's a guy named Gideon. And Gideon is full of questions, full of confusion. The, uh, the angel Lord comes and speaks to him. You'd think that would be pretty clear. If the angel Lord came and spoke to you, he's like, listen, I don't know if that was really God or not. Yeah, it was an angel. You know, he knew my name. And so he's like, he's like God, he's like, I'm kind of confused. I'm going to take this, uh, this, uh, this lamb's fleece, this, this, this sheep's fleece, this, like, like, the skin of a lamb. He said, I'm going to put it out, and there's dew every morning. And how about this? How about I put it out, and there's dew all around it, but the, the lamb's wool is dry. The, the lamb's uh, fleece is dry. And so he comes out the next morning, and it's, it's dew all around, and it's dry. And he says, what a coincidence. Maybe I'm still not sure. <laughs> Has anyone ever done this before? Yeah, yeah. I guess got a funny one. I remember we were trying, this isn't funny, but we are trying to raise somebody from the dead. And there was, like, all these people outside watching us. It was just super intimidating. And I'm like, Lord, if you want us to continue, give us a sign. And this feather appeared and went down, and I was like, can you give us a different sign? Because it's, like, winter. I felt like someone, like, had probably had, like, a feather coat. Yeah, anyway, so... So Gideon's like, okay, Lord, you know, that wasn't, that was, I know that's what I asked for, but could I have it a little more clear? I, we've all done this, right? And so he's like, this time, uh, ground dry, fleece wet, same thing. And now he's like, okay, I guess that's the will of God. And he kind of, he kind of wanders into it, right? Guys, this Old Testament principle does not belong in the New Testament. Lord, if it's your will, have two ravens fly by. Lord, if you want me to marry this person, let this song on the radio come on next. Oh, don't look at me in that tone of voice. We've all tried this. Okay, no, 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 not that song. You keep listening. Ah, it was the fifth one. That, maybe that's kind of it, right? The other way in the Old Testament was casting lots. And so someone would have a long stick and a short stick. And if you picked it out, the one that was the short stick, then God's will was yes. Yeah, you guys remember this? And so uh, the last time casting lots was mentioned in Scripture, people are like, well, that's New Testament. That's the book of Acts. No, that's actually right before the Holy Spirit came. And then once the Holy Spirit came, it was never mentioned again. Also in the Old Testament, the high priest had this breastplate on with these mysterious stones called the umim and the tumim, and the king would consult it. One would light up. I don't think we got that anymore. Okay. And so um, I want you to notice, all the Old Testament seeking of God's will was outward. It was all outward. If you wanted to know God's will, everything was external. Today, it's an inward matter. Everything was external. There was a priesthood. There was lots. There was fleeces. There was a temple. There was Old Testament sacrifices. Now you is the temple. The sacrifice for Jesus has been made once for all. Now he's in you. Today you relate to God by an inward Holy Spirit. So most people see the will of God as doing something. I've got to do something. What do I do? Do I take this job? Do I move over here? Is it the will of God for me to go to Africa to, to be a missionary? Is it the will of God for me to buy this car? Thank you, Jesus. Should I go into full-time ministry or should I stay where I am? Should I, should I buy this house? Is it God's will for me to have this car? Is it God's will for me to marry this person? These things are important, and these will be dealt with in week two. Because if you don't get week one, then week two ain't going to matter. Week one only makes sense. I mean, week two only makes sense if you are a week one type of person, okay? So first of all, second of all, and then third of all, Scripture speaks of the will of God as a matter of being not doing. We're going to get this. It's the rest of the message. You're like, Jim, that makes no sense. Give me, give me another 20 minutes, right? And so maybe 15. 
it's not going to be 15. We all know that. Thank you. Okay, so I've been united to Christ. Christ is the perfect will of God on the inside of me. It's like the will of God came uh, wrapped up, and now he's in the inside of me, and he wants to express his life through me, the perfect will of God through me, in these mundane tasks. I'm learning to live out of this union where there's, I'm learning there's no distance, there's no separation. A lot of times when people pray, our Father which art in heaven, they're praying to a God in a galaxy far, far away, right? They're, they're trying to get God to come down here, right? And so um, I like what Andrew Romick says, the reason you look down when you pray because that's where God is. He's inside of you now. He's outside of you now. Jesus is the perfect will of God wrapped up in a person, and he wants to express his life through you even in the mundane. Remember our text, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when you want to know God's wisdom in a matter, you will consult and live out of the perfect wisdom and knowledge of God on the inside of you. I know this sounds mysterious. We're going to break it down here a little bit. Colossians 2, 3. Uh, let me read it from the Amplified Classic Translation. In him, speaking of Christ, all the treasures of divine wisdom, comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, and all the riches of spiritual knowledge and enlightenment are stored up and lie hidden. Stored up and lie hidden. Where, where's all this mystery and knowledge and all this? Is, is, is it out there to be sought? It's right here. Not, it's, it's in you too. It's not specifically right here. And, and, <laughs> in my pudgy abdomen, that's getting toner. By faith. Everything's wrapped up and hidden in a person. And so here I am. I'm helplessly depending on Christ. And as I'm resting in him, and I I come into a situation, instead of, I'll do this, I recognize, you know, there's Christ in me, and I yield to him, and I'm expecting him. You know what? I'm going to be able to love people that aren't very lovely. And on my own strength, I can't do this. I want the spirit of slap to come on me. I want want the person (laughs) to shut up and be silenced, right? But when I lean into Christ, love himself is able to express his life through me. And I'm able to love people that I can't love in my own strength. So the rest of my life is me helplessly depending on Christ and the unfolding of all the spiritual riches that were in him. They're now coming into my experience. All the doing that I would have to do to be blessed is now automatic because he lives inside of me. What a relief. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, we're gonna, uh, we're, this is our text for next week, and so we'll really expand what it looks like, but I want to uh, look at it here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, here's this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, ready for this, for it's God who works in you both to will and to act for his good pleasure. So you're to work out what God's working in. That's next week. What an incredible picture. You see how it's not this passive thing? Oh, God's just, if he wants to do it, no, 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 no. And it's not just you out there striving. It's this beautiful partnership of you working out what he's already working in. That's next week. That's going to be good. Um, God doesn't dangle a will in front of us. He works it in us to do his will. You can actually learn to trust, to trust your desires when you've given your heart over to God. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you... Um, I know the thoughts I have towards you, plans to give you, uh, prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. God has thoughts towards you, and he says this, that all of his thoughts outnumber the sands of the seashore, and they're all to prosper you and not to harm you. And he says, you have the mind of Christ. So I, I say this with a little bit of hesitation, but if you want to know God's will, have some thoughts. You have his mind, and his mind has plans for you that outnumber the sands of the seashore that are all going to prosper you and not to harm you. I'm not saying do whatever you want. I'm saying that as you're in love with Jesus and you're not trying to get away with something and have him bless him, that there's this natural thing of, there's a naturalness to following God's will and his life being expressed through you. And you can begin to trust that. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about red lights here in just a second. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. God doesn't say he's going to give me a map of the way. Okay, hey, Jim, here's this envelope. It's titled, The Will of God. Here you go. Follow this. He doesn't give us this external thing to follow us. He gives us Jesus. So um, do you remember life before cell phones and GPS? No, I know this section does not over there. (laughs) Well, what a terrifying time if you were directionally challenged as I was. Like, I still put the GPS on for everything. Like, I just, I get, I talk. I'm I'm getting lost. I'm missing exits, even though she's like, calculating, turn. And so... So, like, I, I've, oh, I've never had a good sense of direction. I remember at, um, 
at, uh, at, our, at our high school graduation, they did a roast of me and gave me a map as a present for graduation, like, like an atlas book. That was, that, yeah, they, 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 I was so known for just being terrible at that, you know. And so, um, so I remember I'm 16 years old. So what is that, 1902? And so, um, <laughs> so before cars, before electricity. No, so we had cars and electricity. So I'm 16 years old, and I was dating a, a girl who was not in the will of God for my life. We can have those in our past. And so uh, I, I'm dating her. And so she was going to spend the night at her friend's house in downtown Detroit. And so I wasn't really familiar with the downtown Detroit thing. I was more in the white suburbs of country clubs. And so, um, so I drop her off there, and I take a wrong turn. I, I go the wrong way in I-96. So I-96 West takes me back to the suburbs to my house. I-96 East takes me into the depths of Detroit. And so somehow I get an I-96 East. I don't know the difference. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, and I'm driving along, and I see the sign that says Bridge to Canada. I thought, <laughs> like, I'm 16. I don't have, like, this map. I don't have, like, a lot of experiences. And so I'm like, oh, this is, this is bad. This is bad. So I get off in this thing, and I'm like, well, I, you know, there's no cell phone. So I'm like, I'm going to go find a payphone. So I go drive over to this payphone, and this gang of intimidating-looking people start coming towards my car. So I take off. Now I'm shaking, and I'm holding back tears. And so, uh, oh, and did I tell you, it's New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve. And so, um, and so uh, it's apparently right about midnight, because I get into this gas station. It's filled with people. They're drunk. They're swearing. They're, uh, they're doing all sorts of things. I'm trying to ask for permission to use their phone, because I don't have any money. So I'm asking the, the, phone, the, the gas station person, can I use it? People are coming up and hugging me, and I begin crying. I'm holding on to my wallet, <laughs> like, like, like sitting there in tears, like asking if I can use the phone. So I get on the, I, I get, I call my, you know, I got like a curfew, you know, and I miss the curfew because I'm, I'm the bridge to Canada, right? <laughs> and so I get there, and so my mom, uh, she gets on the phone. I know, mom, you're watching this, but her uh, reaction was not the peace of God that passed his understanding. <laughs> so she's like, you know, I won't, I won't do it. Right. like, don't you know what time it is? <laughs> you know, I knew there was like an I love you underneath there, but it wasn't coming through. Don't you know what time it is? And so I'm, I'm, she's making me cry worse. And so um, I know I wasn't the strongest child, okay? <laughs> and so then dad gets the phone. He says, son, where are you? I said, dad, um, I, you know, I got off in this exit, this and that. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to go uh, get on uh, 96 West. And when you see the big bridge, that's Telegraph Road, take a left on that until you recognize stuff. Boy, what did I need then? I needed the way. My dad became the way. I didn't have a map in front of me. He became the guide, Okay. Guys, when, you, uh, when Jesus says, I am the way, he doesn't just give you something external. He comes in on the inside of you, and he's like, here's the way. Here's how you react. Someone's, someone's, uh, someone's speaking harshly against you and, you, and the way comes up and says, you know what? This isn't who you are. You can love this person. Just, just let it roll right off. With his voice, my dad became my map. He became the way for me. God doesn't just have a neat little map titled The Will of God. Jesus is the map. He is the way. He says, just give yourself unconditionally to me. Just, just love on me. Just helplessly depend on me. And uh, Jesus is the map all wrapped up in human flesh. So first and foremost, the will of God is not doing something. It's not going somewhere. It's not should I buy this or that. We'll get to all that next week. The will of God is Jesus Christ being himself in me wherever I find myself. If you're poor, let Christ live in you. If you're rich, let Christ live in you. If you hate your job, let Christ live in you. If you hate your church, you must not be going here. I sure hope not so. <laughs> Wherever you find yourself, the will of God is Christ living in you. He's expressing his life through you. This is what Paul meant in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of myself being in need, for I've learned that in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One translation says, I can do all things through Christ who infuses his strength into me. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter where I am. Where I am. Sometimes I got a lot to eat. Sometimes it's just the scraps I can find in the mountains. I know what it's like to abound and have a whole bunch of abundance. I know what it's like to not have that. He says, you know what the secret is in all those situations? It's Christ expressing his life through me. And he was in the perfect will of God when he was doing that. So whatever car I own, whatever house I live in, whatever geography I'm in, that's not the prime important. It does come second. I'm not saying it's unimportant. That's next week. The prime is that I understand the will of God is being, not doing. 
It's being with him. It's allowing his life to be expressed through me. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. Then he's a preacher. And sometimes he's going back to tent making. What happened? Did the anointing lift off of him? Did he have his hand to the plow and he turned back? Did he turn his back on ministry? Is that, is that what's happened? I remember uh, um, my wife and I, we kind of got birthed out of the church. We just were following our desires and we're like, we can't be in this church environment anymore. And so we went into real estate. And I was talking to a friend from high school who had uh, recently was in ministry and he was no longer and he had a business and he wanted to go back into ministry so bad. And he begins crying with me on the phone. He says, brother, I am so sorry for you. Your heart has to be lacerated. You've got to be so sad no longer being in ministry. I said, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, I, we've never had more ministry in our lives in real estate. I mean, I, I'm praying tongues on the way to appointments, and I remember we'd end up leading people to the Lord. We're going to commit suicide. Just all sorts of wonderful and funny things happen. And so, you know, did I ever tell you the story of the funeral? Ever, this has nothing to do with anything. Did I ever tell you the story of the funeral when I was in real estate? This is, this is just kind of a funny thing. So we're working with this guy, um, uh, Mr. Johnson. I didn't, I didn't even know his first name, just Mr. Johnson. That was, that was his name. And he was blind, and so we're working on with real estate. And then kind of in the middle of the real estate deal, he passes away. And so, um, so I thought, well, I'll be respectful. I'll show up to the funeral. So let's just say it was at like 1.30. So I show up at 1.25 to the funeral. I got on like jeans and like a halfway decent shirt, you know. And I get there, and the funeral director says, are you Pastor Baker? And I was like, well, I haven't been called that in a while. But I said, yeah, I, I guess I am. And they said, well, uh, you're doing the funeral. <laughs> I'm like, What? And uh, I didn't even know his name. I just knew him as Mr. Johnson. And so, um, so what I do, I take a deep breath, and I realize that Christ is in me, and he's got this situation. And all of a sudden, you know what? I get a brilliant idea. And I say, you know what? I want you to get me a Bible, a pen, and a piece of paper, and gather the family. So now it's two minutes until the funeral starts. I'm in a room. I, I mean, I've done it before since. I said, tell me about your dad. They're kind of looking at me half ticked, but I didn't want to uncover and say, hey, it was your mom's fault. She didn't tell me. You know, I didn't want to do that. And so um, I wanted to, but I didn't. Anyway, and so I said, tell me about your dad. And so they began to tell me about their dad, and I just wrote down different things. And all these scriptures came to mind. And I did this sermon called Let His Life Speak. And I just took those, uh, those things the kids told me about me and showed how those were biblical principles. It was the most incredible anointed funeral I'd ever done, it was completely without preparation. Now, I had never done a burial, and so I'm riding in the, um, in the hearse with the hearse driver and the casket in the back, and I'm on my cell phone, and I'm calling a pastor in North Carolina. I'm in Michigan. I'm calling him in North Carolina. I'm like, hey, how do you do, like, the, the, the commitment part where, like, the, you're going to bury him? You know, like, what do you say? What are the scriptures? And the driver's like, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So, yeah. Christ in you. Guys, you are just as much in ministry if you are a cashier as if you are a preacher. And your reward is just the great. I want you to get this. God loves you just as much if you're healing the sick, raising the dead, or taking a nap. Your reward is the same if you're doing it with him. The will of God didn't depend on uh, Paul, whether he was making tents or whether he was preaching. The will of God depending on Christ inside of him. So how do you work this out? Well, it's the same as salvation. How do, you, how do you work out your salvation? It's Christ expressing his life through you. So remember when you're first saved, it was all about doing. Okay, what do I have to do? I've got to do 15 minutes a day with the Lord. You know, I've got to do a chapter a day keeps the devil away. I've got to go to prayer meetings. I've got to, remember it was all about doing. And remember where that led you to despair. When you realize, you know what? I can't do enough. There is not enough for me to do. But the moment you rested and realized Christ lives in me, the Christian life began to happen more on accident than it ever did on purpose. Some of you, this is good news for you. Some of you haven't even uh, stepped into this. You know what that's called? That's called grace. That's the difference between law and grace. The Christian life is rest, but that rest leads to an activity. Okay, we don't struggle to find God's will, but it also doesn't mean you're full of passivism because I'm resting. I'm, I'm resting in God's grace right now. No, no. When you're resting in his grace, you're going to be more excited to do things with his energy than you were before. So if you're a cashier, you don't have to say, I'm just doing this job until God shows me his will. Uh, it's like that person who's an actress, so, you know, I'm really an actress, you know, but I'm waiting tables right now, but I'm really over here. That's how a lot of people are. I've got this job, but my real calling is over here. You can walk into that store as a cashier and know that you're in the will of God because the will of God is in you. He's going to express the will of God in that situation through you. Are you a farmer? When you go to the farm, you are in the will of God because Christ Jesus is in you. 
You don't have to constantly conduct family devotions saying, family, let's get together and let's find out what God's will is. He wants you to plant some crops and reap them (laughs) in his strength, trusting him for blessing. You're in God's perfect will, for the will of God lives inside of you. You don't have to keep saying, Lord, should I do this? Lord, should I do that? You should continue. Someone please hear this. Please hear this next part. You don't have to keep saying, Lord, should I do this? Lord, should I do that? You should continue to do the obvious until the one who is your life says something else. Lord, I have on an orange sock. Should I put on another orange sock? Probably, unless you don't want to. Okay, are you guys ready for this next statement? I'm going to repeat it because it's nuclear. On the road, so Rhoda, I said it backwards yesterday. I'm going to say it right this time. On the road of life, in Christ and God, there are no green traffic lights, only red ones. That is, if you don't see a red light, you've got a green to go all the way. And now for the repeat. On the road of life, in Christ and God, there are no green traffic lights, only red ones. So if you don't see a red light, you've got a green to go all the way. When I get asked to speak somewhere, I don't typically pray about it because I know the lights are green until they turn red. And as long as I don't get a green light, it must be green. You know what that's called? That's called grace. That's called the easy yoke and the light burden. With Christ in you, you do the next right thing, the next natural and most obvious thing because his desires are becoming your desires and his thoughts are your thoughts and you're leaning on him and you're trusting him and you're doing the next right thing. And if there's any other path to take, then the red light goes on and you know I've got to reconsider my steps. Grace always leaves you living naturally. Christ is living his supernatural life in your blessed naturalness. Acts 16, 6 through 10 is one of my favorite stories. This is Paul and Silas. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Boy, that doesn't make sense. Here they are going through Asia, going with the green light. Get a red light. Don't speak. All right? And when they had come up through Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, this little nothing town. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Perfect example. Paul's in this missionary journey. And earlier, Paul came to Barnabas and said, You know what? It's in my heart to go visit the churches. He didn't say God spoke to me. He didn't say, I focused for a while. I believe this is God's will. Yea, that I say. It's almost like he's having coffee with Barnabas. He says, you know what? I want to go visit the churches. And it changed the entire world, him having this thought. I kind of want to go do this. So he's connected to God. It's in his heart. Uh, him and Barnabas have a little bit of fight over John Mark. So he takes Silas with him. So Paul goes off with silence. And uh, just because they felt like it was the right thing to do, they did the most natural and the most obvious, and God was in it. So they said, you know what? The most obvious thing, let's go preach the gospel in Asia. They're going over to Ephesus, kind of like the New York City of the day. And the Holy Spirit puts up a red light. So they go, okay, let's try to go north then. This makes sense. So let's go to Bithynia. There's a lot of big cities up there. Let's go up there. Next right thing, Holy Spirit puts on the brakes. They're not under condemnation. They don't say, boy, how did we miss it? Boy, what, is there sin in our life? And what, what, what's going on? How, how do we miss God's will? And they, they go on this whole scavenger hunt. No, no, no. Um, the Christ who is in, who's your life says, not now. They go, oh, okay. Thanks for that, Holy Spirit. So did they stop and hold a prayer meeting? No, they only had one road left. They went down to Troas. This little town is no red lights, so off they go. Where do they go from here? It's in them doing the natural that God steps in with his supernatural. They weren't saying, Holy Spirit, show us. They were doing the most natural thing, and then God steps in with a vision and gives them direction, and they absolutely follow that. But by all the time, they had walked through all the obvious open doors, knowing that Christ was being himself through them. Wherever they found themselves, they were in the will of God. You follow the natural thing to do until the Holy Spirit gives you a red light. The doing of God's will flows out of being, being united to Christ. He's putting his desires in me. I'm loving him. I'm not trying to do my own thing. I'm enjoying him, and that comes out. Well, Jim, doesn't God ever call anybody to do anything special? Yes, he does. But whenever God called someone to do something unusual and special, they were doing something normal when he called them to do something unusual. God never spoke once to anybody that was sitting idle saying, God, speak to me and tell me what to do. 
Guy didn't speak to anyone in park. They were in drive, and he could redirect them from there. Every case in Scripture, when God broke in and redirected the path, that person was totally absorbed in, what, in Christ living in them at that moment. And, uh, and there's a man in Proverbs called the lazy man. Here's one of the characteristics of the lazy man, is he's always got his eye on the horizon, looking for the future someday. So it's never about the now. It's, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're floating through today, waiting for their ship to come in. It's always going to be someday. What does Proverbs say? That person is lazy and a fool. Listen, guys, sometimes God's will can put you in difficult circumstances, and it can still be God's will. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. I'm circling in for landing here. Joseph in the Old Testament. God speaks to Joseph when he's around 15 or 16 years old, gives him this, uh, this supernatural dream that uh, there's going to be a day when his uh, mother and father and his brothers are all going to bow down to him. So he's like, praise God, this is going to be amazing. 17 years old, he gets sold into slavery. His brothers kidnap him, sell him in the slave in the hands of Potiphar. He was an, uh, a guard in the, in the Pharaoh's army. We keep reading in the story, you know what it says? The Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't make sense in the natural. Like, this, this, is, like, this, is, this cannot be a good thing. And so the wife of Potiphar, she frames him. She accuses him of some things. He gets thrown in jail. He's forgotten and left to rot in prison. And all of that, you know what it says? The Lord was with Joseph. He saw God in the dull and the ordinary. He did not sit in the corner of his cell and say, you know what, one day when I get in the will of God, then something good's going to happen. I've got all these prophecies. I've got all these words. But for now, I'm just sitting here in jail. You know what he did? The Lord was with them, and he became, um, when he was in Potiphar's house, he was head of Potiphar's house, even though he was a kidnapped slave. When he was in prison, he got put in charge of all the other prisoners. Why? Because he was expressing the will of God in his situation, even though it wasn't what his destiny ultimately was. Thank you. It was good. No bitterness, no anger. And when he finally becomes prime minister of Egypt, the famine comes, and his brothers come looking for help. And uh, you guys remember the story. Uh, his brothers, I mean, when the brothers find out who he is, they are scared that they're going to get their heads cut off for what's happened here. What does Joseph say? I know what you did. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He did not say, you meant it for evil, and God used it for good. He said, God meant it for good. God was in it. This is the big secret behind it, is that even in these horrible things, God is in it. Joseph wasn't looking on the horizon. He wasn't sitting in Potiphar's house or in jail saying, one of these days when God really moves, he knew God was moving right now, and he saw God in all things. Today, wherever you find yourself, if you are wrongly accused and you're listening to this in a prison cell, even what people meant for evil, God can turn to good because the will of God can express himself in that situation. The will of God is not one day I'll be doing, it's what you're doing right now. God may give you a picture of the future, but you don't have to wait for that future to start living in his will. And then you get those special times. Elisha, he's, he's, he's plowing a field, and this guy who hadn't had a haircut in years, he's this hairy, wild guy, comes out of the woods, Elijah, throws his old coat over him and says, you're called to be in the prophetic ministry. I want you to notice, Elisha, who had the coat thrown on him, wasn't saying, Lord, you know, show me your will. Show me your plan. I'm going to sit here, and I'm not moving one inch until you show me what to do. That sounds so pious and holy. No. He was a covenant man taking care of his father's field. He was busy about the Lord's work, and then the special and the unusual happened. The will of God is being that leads to doing. And uh, the, the name of this message is the, is the key. And it's interesting they, they painted keys up there. My wife pointed that out to me. The will of God has one key. Here's the, here's the one key. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. With this truth, you can now walk out with greater courage and excitement and embrace life and know that right where you are, Christ is the will of God, and he's waiting to express it through. You're going to get thoughts and desires, and you're going to have energy to do stuff, and you're going to have something in your heart. And as you do that, you are perfectly in the will of God. And you can move forward with the most obvious, the most natural pathway ahead, and you can do so without any fear and that Christ will be glorified. And when he gives you a red light, you just simply change directions. You go off again, walking through his green lights, and it's a marvelous life. There's no pressure. There's no restlessness. Life becomes a celebration of Jesus Christ living through you and by you because that's who you are. I'll stand for closing prayer. Next week, we'll see exactly what it means for Christ to work out his will through us and some of those other things you probably thought this series is going to be about. But we need this part first. Whew, man, 
Thank you, Jesus. You're wonderful. Lord, we just thank you that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ and you are in us. We have access to everything. Lord, I thank you that there's uh, wisdom for how to raise uh, our kids, how to be incredible employees, how to solve problems in our environment. You've got, uh, you've got wisdom on how to solve problems in our nation. So, Lord, I just pray that there would be a freeing of people, uh, just uh, the heavy yoke of discovering your will, that it would become light and easy because you're in them. There's no distance and no separation. So we just step into that freedom today. Lord, we just thank you that we're walking out this door to a uh, world full of green lights, trusting you to give us red lights and redirect us. But, Lord, there's freedom as you express your life through us, and we depend on you, and you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our ministry teams will be coming forward. They'll be the ones with tags on. And uh, if you're new here, my wife and I would love to meet you over at the I'm New flag. And uh, so ministry teams come forward. And um, love you guys. We'll see you next week.